Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And it is time to continue our story about spy technology. We started that in the classic episode last week. This is another classic episode. This one published on January 8th, 2014. And we take another look at spy tech, both fictional and realistic. Let's take a listen. So supposedly John Dee, the 16th century science guy, Dr. Um, John Dee, uh-huh, may have been the first 007 to perform espionage in the royal service. He served as an advisor to the queen and reportedly signed his messages with two zeros, uh, symbolizing his job as the queen's eyes, um, followed by a seven with the top drawn out over the zeros, uh, the, the number seven reportedly having some kind of occult meaning to Dee. Um, so his code name, if you will, was 007. Oh, uh, yeah. And that you can... Uh find and we actually have an article all about James Bond at how stuff works you can learn more about the background and the supposed mythology behind it by the way i've got another trivia tidbit about dr john d yeah did you know that according to H.P. Lovecraft, Dr. John D. was the man responsible for translating the necronomicon into english although that translation was never found i did not tidbit okay so let's jump into the james bond series now when we last we left off we had worked our way up to moonraker the 1979 film and yes uh, we are in the middle of roger moore's um the best james bond ever as i mentioned in the last one george lazenby close second roger moore man you can i i could just hear the the frustrated squeals of of james bond fans everywhere third place timothy dalton (laughs) just just trying not to kill you with their minds oh Um, it's fine it's fine uh yeah so moonraker had this was the the era where the the roger moore era where the gadgets really started going crazy completely wacky yeah we we keep in mind lauren and i met before we came in to record this where we cut a bunch of gadgets because we just for time there's just too many and in this particular era alone i think like 60 percent of our cuts came from these right yeah so starting off we have a wrist dart gun with poison tipped darts also armor piercing darts so we had two different types and um there are lots of electronic dart guns that have been created over the past uh, including a uh well there's one that was not even this wasn't electric it was actually a, a bullet one it was a gun gun it was a glove mounted gun so the the barrel of the gun was actually on the palm side and it was designed so that when you would make a fist and punch something the gun, which the barrel would hopefully clear your knuckles, would <laughs> fire off. And the idea being that uh, it was developed in World War II by the OSS. And the idea was that, you know, if you were to create this sort of thing and show a person punching someone else and the other person dies as a result of being punched, it would scare the heck out of your enemies. Like, wow, they are so yeah, strong. Truth, that, truth. But um, here's the thing. Didn't work so well, so hardly anyone ever fired one of these things. There are some interesting pictures online of the various uh, gun gloves. Uh, so there have been people who have tried to make this kind of technology work, but no one's really done it in such a way that it was ever practical. Mm-hmm. So wrist dart gun, not necessarily practical. There's probably other ways you could, you know... Be- better in, in ways to get life. darts out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, other kind of impractical thing, a cigarette case with an X-ray safe cracking device embedded yeah, in it. Yeah, not sure how you would fit X-ray scanning technology into the form factor of a cigarette case. That 
Sounds impossible. It sounds pretty hard to me, yeah. Uh, also had a wristwatch. There are a lot of wristwatches in James Bond. That's one of the things that we ended up cutting some of them because there are so many that were like, yeah, we, we've already... But anyway, this particular wristwatch had a detonator, a fuse, and an explosive charge built into it, which again... That's a lot of stuff to pack into a tiny form factor. Mm-hmm. Now, I can totally understand a detonator in a watch, a transmitter. That's something that I could, you know, especially once you get into the transistor era, and we're well into it now. In 1979, transistors are definitely a thing. Oh, sure. Uh, when you get into that miniaturization where you press a button and it sends out a radio signal, I totally get that. But being able to build in all this other stuff so that it it can contain everything is a little on the science fiction side. Yeah, that, that's that's dicey in terms of physics. There was also something shown off in Q's laboratory that disturbed me. Are you, are you talking about the the Mexican machine gun? Yeah, the Mexican machine gun. And so this is problematic. So the, the while showing what you know, it, a lot of the scenes show Q walking through the laboratory and some outlandishly ridiculous gadget is going off in the background. Yeah, just completely without comment. Just yeah. That's just happening. Occasionally mm-hmm. they might stop and say, oh, have you seen this 007? It's a Mexican machine gun. And it looks like a, um, well, it looks like a, a mannequin. It is a mannequin of a, a person wearing like a sombrero and taking a siesta. Yeah, like a, like a troublingly racist mannequin. Yeah, and then the chest opens up. Revealing a machine gun that fires off. So, uh, yeah, that was a little problematic. And then there, of course, is the character of Holly Goodhead, who had lots of gadgets. She was a CIA agent in Moonraker, mm-hmm. and she had her own uh, weapons, which yes. included a pen, a notebook, and perfume. <laughs> it was a poison pen. Yes, uh, yes. Well, it, was, it was a dart shooting notebook. Well, all and women carry those. It was flamethrower perfume. Every... I'm sure you have some at your desk. I do. And it's probably pink too, because we all know what ladies like, right? Yeah, no, the, the, to be fair, the James Bond franchise has never been accused of being forward thinking as far as women are concerned. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, or, or race when it comes to that. Or race, yes. So. No, there's some terrible examples, but we're, we're avoiding, of course, we're concentrating on the gadgets, not the, not the social commentary. Uh, so moving up to 1981, we're still with Roger Moore. Still, yeah, for your eyes only. Yeah, no, it was not just for my eyes, Lauren. It was for the world's eyes. Oh, you're talking about the title of the movie. Yes. Okay, yes, for your eyes only. Yes. Um, they introduced a computer-like device called the Identograph in this, which was interesting. The idea was that you could create a composite picture of a person by adding or removing distinguishing uh, features uh, on a computer. Yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, no, the nose is bigger. No, no, the eyes are wider set. That kind of thing, which is totally something we can do now. Yeah, yeah. Um, facial composition techniques had been in use for for decades and decades at this point, but um, I don't think that we got a digital version until the late 1980s. So this is kind of again another sort of predictive technology, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's certainly something that has been used since. Yeah, and we still have, you know, uh, like a. Uh, sketch artists who work with police departments, too. But now there are also these technologies that let people uh, kind of mix and match basic features where you get a general idea of what someone might look like based upon a description. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's great, uh, great artistic technology. Yep. Um, also, in this film, we had an update to the communications wristwatch. I think last we had kind of a ticker tape sort of thing going yeah, on. Yeah. Um, and this one could receive digital messages and mm-hmm. be used like a walkie-talkie. Which is fantastic because it meant that Roger Moore could clear out all that extra space in his hollow arm for the battery that would be necessary to run this device. <laughs> um, you know, as... It, for those course, who don't get that joke, you need to listen to the other podcast, <laughs> the other episode. 
Of course, these days, I, that's totally a thing that we have in oh, our yeah. pockets all the time. Um, but, but yes, uh, at, at the time, it was still a little bit forward thinking. Uh, we wouldn't start to get wristwatches with that kind of capacity until the late 80s at the very earliest. Yeah, and of course, we, you know, we've talked all about smartwatches in previous episodes, including the most famous one, the Dick Tracy right. wrist radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, there have been lots of people who have created various kinds of, of watches that were also communicators. But now we're finally getting into the era where they aren't super bulky or have, you know, no battery life whatsoever. So uh, definitely a little ahead of its time there, but supposed to be. Moving on to the next Roger Moore film, 1983's Octopussy, which I saw in a drive-in movie theater. Wow. I remember distinctly going to see this movie and thinking, even as a kid in 1983, same year that Return of the Jedi came out, even as a kid thinking, this is silly. It, this, I, I would, I would argue that Octopussy is the silliest of the James Bond movies. It, it certainly had some of the silliest examples of technology and, and, uh, camouflage. With the possible exception of a car that we'll talk about toward the end of this episode. But, uh, for one thing, they had the wristwatch and pen combo that this part wasn't so silly. Mm-hmm. The idea was that the pen had surveillance technology, like a microphone in it, that you would surreptitiously leave someplace and then you could pick up the transmission on the wristwatch and listen in on what was going on. Not that crazy an idea, actually. So mm-hmm. I kind of get that one. Uh, also, the pen had some nitric and hydrochloric acid in it that could clearly dissolve stuff because occasionally you have to dissolve a bad guy's face. Right. You know, and you no, might not have the Ark of the Covenant near you. So, no, you sure, of do course. Something. Uh, so then there was a, a weapon that one of the nameless henchmen in this movie used. There was a buzzsaw slash yo-yo type thing. I, well, I mean, it was I don't think that it was intended to be. A yo-yo. I, I think it was purely for for weapon purposes. I don't think that the bad guy was trying to trick anyone with it. No, um, no, he but, wasn't but, trying to walk the dog. Or... But it was a. I mean, it was a buzz saw that had yo-yo functionality. Yeah. So the the they thought ahead a little bit. So the there was like a handpiece this guy wore where he could hold the the blade. It looked like a saw blade, mm-hmm. you know, and it looked like a saw blade that's on a cable. But uh and he was the guy who was using it was mostly using it from above. He was on a level higher up than where James Bond was. And you could kind of throw it, it down, down and have it come back into your hand. Right. And uh, it would spin on the end of its rope, sort of like a yo-yo would if you if you did the have sleep. A, if you have a trick yo-yo. Yeah. yeah. yeah just, you know, it's it's called sleeping. But um it could cut through like all this stuff, like it cuts through a table that's got like a big fruit plate on it because, you know, that's visually interesting. Um and truth is, unless there was a motor that was turning that saw blade, that just wouldn't work. Because as soon as it made contact with something solid, it would start to lose velocity. So yeah. it might it might embed in something. Sure. You could probably get it to injure a person pretty, sure. pretty well. Sure. It just wouldn't continue to cut. It no. wouldn't continue to rotate and cut. So that's not realistic. In fact, a larger version of this sort of thing was used in a later James Bond film but on an industrial level where it was supposed to be something meant to cut down trees and it ends up cutting James Bond's car in half? Un- unlikely. Yeah. Um, something that was more likely was a TV watch. Um, yeah. uh, but Bond had a, had a color TV display embedded in, in, a, in a wristwatch. Um, yeah. Which... Have you seen any pictures of this thing? I, I'll tell you what all the pictures online of this thing, what, the, the still image that they picked. Uh, which, which one? Woman's Cleavage. I, that's shocking. I'm yeah. shocked. Every single one. <laughs> I, by the way, if you're going out there rushing to look at Google image search right now after I said that, for shame. But uh, I was just, it was one of those things where I was looking at pictures of these different gadgets because some of them I was 
unfamiliar with. I uh-huh. haven't seen all the Bond films. So I was like, I want to see a picture yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Or, and, or perhaps it's been a while in many cases. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then, like, I have no memory of this TV watch, even though I remember watching Octopussy. And uh, and so I looked it up and was like, oh, really? <laughs> uh, Seiko had actually come out with a two-color TV watch the previous year. So so that was totally legit, yeah. almost. Yeah, it was a little bit smaller than what you would expect. And it and had a little... The color. The yeah. color was mm-hmm. better. But, yeah. but it was still online with the sort of stuff that was coming out, you know, right. And you expect that whatever James Bond has is bleeding edge technology. Yes. Uh, other bleeding edge technology oh. are my, my two favorite from oh. this film, which are probably my two favorite of any John, James Bond film ever in terms of pure ridiculous factor. Yeah. We've got we've got the fake horse. Yeah, there's a horse trailer with a fake horse and the back end of the fake horse lifts up. And James Bond pulls out a miniature aircraft that was hidden inside the horse and horse trailer. So you've got this camouflaged trailer. Like, it could have just been a trailer. Why did it have to be a horse trailer with a fake horse in it that's hiding a gyrocopter? <laughs> that, oh. is, that is a question for the ages, Jonathan. And I cannot I would, answer. I would say that this is the dumbest thing that happens in Octopussy, except for one other thing. Except for the fact that there is a crocodile-shaped motorboat. Yeah. There's a crocodile shaped. It's it's incredible to me that that multiple people at a movie studio said this is a great plan. Let us enact it. This is a and this continues to be terrific. Let us go ahead with it. Not only that, not only that, but someone paid for that crocodile shaped motorboat prop. They did paid a lot. Yeah, there might have been multiple ones that they had to decide which one of these is the best crocodile shaped boat prop. Oh man! All right, so let's, let's move on. Things do improve uh, in in a way. We we get never say never again in 1983 with a return of Sean Connery. Now this was a film that was not made by the same studio that was making right. all the other James Bond films. Mm-hmm. So some people don't include it. Some people do. We're including it because why not? It's a actually kind of a. a the, based on the same story as uh, Thunderball was. So if you remember in our last episode, Connery was in Thunderball too. So essentially he's, he's making two. A remake of his a own remake movie. A remake of his own movie in a way. So in this one, he had a, a pen that had an explosive charge in it that was meant to fire a projectile, which you could do. I mean, we talked about the lipstick and cigarette, uh, one shot pistols mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. past. Uh, obviously, you couldn't make it be a pen pen. Like, it couldn't be made out of the same stuff as your regular pen, because that wouldn't hold up under the stress that would of... explode in your hand, yeah. which would suck. Yeah, that would be bad. That's what we call a bad result. But technically, it is possible. Uh, and another... I, I thought I'd pull up another kind of funky spy gun. I like to bring up real-life examples whenever we talk about these uh, fictional ones. There actually was this uh, cell phone... Um, that what looks like it dates from the early 90s. It's a big, clunky, candy bar-style cell phone, uh-huh. all right? But if you were to uh, to bisect it uh, so that the top half comes away from the bottom half, you would see that there are four bullets that can be in this thing, and it can actually fire bullets when you put in a four-digit code in the cell phone. It fires off a bullet. Cute. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, one of these was actually found in the wild. I want to say it was in the U.K., Wow. Uh, so it's kind of a uh, kind of crazy that these things actually do exist to some extent. Although I I doubt that they are you know in wide use. It's probably one of those things that you know when all else fails, that's something that you might rely upon that may or may not get you out of a tricky situation. Unless you're James Bond, in which case it always does. Um, <laughs> right, because it's a because it's a plot gadget. Yep. Yeah. Um. Uh. That film also had. I think the first example of a watch with a laser beam cutting tool. Yeah, which, again, uh, not realistic because you would need a a lot of power to be able to create a laser 
of significant intensity for you to cut through anything. Now, we could have laser pointers sure. in our watches. In fact, I'm sure there's some watches out there that do. But uh, for something that could actually cut, you would need uh, pretty significant power, and that's not something that you could fit in a wristwatch form factor. Moving on to A View to a Kill. Well, guess who's back with us? Roger Moore! Yay! It's 1985! Yay! So... Here's an interesting piece of technology that uh, that you found an example of at least a concept that's similar to it. One of the things James Bond has is a ring that hides a camera in it. Now, this is also, especially in 1985, when you're talking about film cameras, really hard to do because how do you how do you miniaturize all that stuff so it fits into a ring? Um, but on top of that, you know, now even with a digital one, it would still be tricky because. Again, you have to worry about power. Like, where does the power come from? Oh, right. News broke in late 2012 that a design studio was working on a digital camera in, in, in a ring thing like this. Uh, they're, they're calling it the camera-ing. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, I haven't heard any further developments yeah. about it. Everything I looked into looked like it was a concept, not even beyond a concept at this point. So we may never see a real one. Now, the pictures, the concept drawings make it look super cool, and I totally want one. Yeah, and in fact, lots of people... Um, on, on like Pinterest and Fancy and places like that have been like this this thing is terrific. Um, but yeah, there's no the drawing is terrific. Yeah, the drawing is terrific. It's amazing what people can draw, isn't it? Now, if only that thing can come real. I, again, I don't know how you get around the power thing. You could have a small battery in it, but it would drain that pretty quickly, I would imagine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they also had an electric shaver that was actually hiding uh, eavesdropping technology, which again totally Super legit. exists. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um. And then that that iceberg boat submarine. Yeah, it all depends on who you ask whether it counts as a boat or a submarine. But it's disguised as an iceberg. It's better than a crocodile. Uh, however, this particular iceberg boat also, as I recall, had a bed in it and champagne. I I that you know iceberg shaped submersibles is where I keep all of my luxury items. So I'm not sure why you're questioning this. This, this is one of those issues that I have with James Bond is just not only that he's a spy that draws unwanted attention to himself wherever he goes, but he's also like living this insane, lavish lifestyle that that nobody does <laughs> except for maybe Elon Musk. Maybe that's why he bought that submersible as <laughs> he's trying to become James Bond. Um, you know, anyway, I just thought it was weird. So now we're moving on to The Living Daylights, where we get a brand new Bond, Timothy Dalton. Woo? Yeah, this is... Timothy Dalton was not one of the more lauded James Bonds. Uh, less than popular. At, at least I think Roger Moore people have a kind of uh, fondness for. Like, like out a campiness. Of, oh, sure. Sure. But, Timothy Dalton... Well, uh, for it's not entirely his fault. The Timothy Dalton movies were a little dour. You know, they weren't... There were, it, it seemed like a lot of fun was missing from some of those Timothy Dalton movies. They, they, were, they were a little bit humorless, I think, right. yeah. So The um, Living Daylights, let's talk about some of the gadgets in that. Yeah, uh, let's see. We had a, <laughs> um, a keychain that included knockout gas to be released if you whistled the correct notes. Which was Rule Britannia for James Bond. Uh, presumably, each double O agent would have a different whistle. Music yeah. cue. So, Rule Britannia, so do, 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 would release knockout gas. But it also could explode if you used a different kind of whistle. For, for, for James, they used a wolf whistle. Which uh, Q, of course, comments upon, uh, as you would expect. And it was totally appropriate for Mr. Misogyny James Bond. Also contained inside this keychain was a lockpick capable of opening up like 90% of the world's locks, according to Q. Which is amazing. Um, 
not sure that any keychain could contain all of these things and still be a keychain and not like a kit. <laughs> uh, it, it seems unlikely. Yes, that that's again one of those physics issues. Yeah, how do you pack? How do you make enough room for enough knockout gas to be effective for anything, uh, or enough explosive charge to be dangerous and have the enough room for the the lock picks as well? All three of those things into something that tiny would be really hard to do. Also, how can you make sure that when one goes off, like when the gas is released, it doesn't accidentally also make it explode? Because knockout gas is great if you don't want to hurt people. But if you do knockout gas and then immediately the keychain explodes, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I would assume that whatever release mechanism would, would be, I don't know. Yeah. At any rate, um, then then there was a uh, a boombox. Yes, the ghetto blaster, as Q would say. It was meant for uh, agents who were operating in the United States. Because as we all know, by 1987, we all were walking around with uh, four foot long... Uh, radios perched on our shoulders. Well, it's the only thing that matched with uh, hammer pants weren't until the 1990s. No, we were mostly uh, looking for for sheets of cardboard upon which we would bust some moves. I would encourage you to watch the documentary uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo to learn more. Uh, so anyway, the Ghetto Blaster was a rocket launcher that was disguised to be a boombox. The heaviest boombox ever made. You would imagine for it to be an effective rocket launcher, it would probably be pretty weighty. To be fair, boomboxes were already pretty heavy back in those days, but this would be even heavier. Uh, however, Dalton as Bond did get a new Aston Martin. Yes, the V8 Vantage Volante, which had hub- hubcap lasers. <laughs> Don't... Ret- retractable skis. Yeah, retractable spikes. Uh, also a missile launcher and a rocket that would make it go, as I put in the notes, Wicked fast. Oh, also had a self-destruct system, which most of the Aston Martins after sure. this point did, too. Uh-huh. There's one of those excuses. Come standard. <laughs> self-destruct system. You know, not that Bond ever needed the self-destruct system. Yeah, no, he was usually pretty good at wrecking those all on his own. To be fair, um, to be fair, I think one of his vehicles did did, uh, did uh, self-destruct when someone tried to break into it. And it was part of the um, anti-theft device. It's a very effective one. Not uh, just a car alarm. No, that's great. No. That's, much, that's much less annoying than yeah, a car alarm, actually. Because it, it's over in a moment. Yeah. It doesn't go on all morning long. Uh, moving on to our next film, License to Kill from 1989. I remember this one, too. Uh, so this one had a, uh, a, a plastic explosives in the form of toothpaste called Dentonite. Oh, um, no. Yeah. And uh, had a pack of cigarettes that were used as the detonator. So you would squeeze out the plastic, the plastique, and then use the uh, the the cigarettes implanted in it to be the blasting caps. So I they don't actually say what type of plastic explosives they're using. Uh, I assume it was something similar to PE4, which is uh, what the Brits use in the U.S. We use something very similar called C4. Right. Uh, I say we. I just mean the the. Entities that have access to these things. They, Personally, they, I don't use either. They don't give you C4? Not anymore. So, um, yeah, these things require blasting caps. They actually can withstand impact pretty well. They can, uh, they can withstand heat pretty well, uh, unless it's super intense explosive heat that releases very quickly, which is why you need the blasting caps. So, um, it, it's another one of those things where you'd have to have a very effective blasting cap technology to make this plastic explosive stuff ignite and uh, and explode. So it's not like it's impossible. It would just be really tricky to do in that particular form factor. 
Uh, and then we had a few, we had some camera technology in this one. Um, th- there was some kind of weird sniper camera gun thing, yeah. a, a, a sniper rifle disguised as a camera, but It was also, like a Decepticon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, snipers in disguise, yes. Yep. Um, we also had a, we also had a Polaroid camera that had deathly lasers. Well, the lasers were meant to somehow create an x-ray version of whatever it was you were taking a picture of. So if I had this Polaroid and you were wearing a trench coat and you were laden down with various weaponry, which, guys, I got to tell you, Lauren holds her weapons all in the open, so it's not like she would be concealing them because she doesn't feel the need to do that. But if she did... I, I prefer the, the nine-foot-long anime sword, right. personally. Right. It's, it's, it's very comical to watch Lauren keep on bumping into door frames. But no, let's say that I wanted to check out and see if Lauren was, in fact, carrying you know an arsenal underneath that trench coat. Take a photo with this Polaroid, and it had this little red laser flash that came out of the flash instead of a regular camera flash. And the Polaroid would come out with the X-ray version of whatever that picture is. Um, again, not really a thing. Uh, you know, using X-rays would be dangerous. Uh, using that camera would be really dangerous on any extended. So the lasers would be deadly. Uh, in yeah, the end just for yeah, it would just mean that you would be deadly in the sense that you would eventually probably contract contract cancer as opposed to get burned by a laser. But yeah, it wasn't meant to be a weapon. It was meant to try and detect. You know people smuggling in guns into places where you don't want them to have them. We'll be back with more about spy technology after this quick break. Okay, in our last James Bond film, we had Timothy Dalton. But now in our next one, we go up to the next actor to play James Bond. Uh, yeah, it would be a six-year break in between these movies. And the next film that came out was Goldeneye in 1995 with Pierce Brosnan. Now, Pierce Brosnan, uh, a lot of people felt was a, a good, um, refreshing breath after Timothy Dalton. Uh, again, I think the Timothy Dalton movies, was that was more of a scripting issue than necessarily a casting one. But Pierce Brosnan definitely brought in some... Uh, uh, you know, kind of an edge to the character that had sort of not been there before. It would definitely be refined later on. Uh, so Goldeneye, uh, besides being one of the best Nintendo 64 video games ever made. I'm glad that you said that because that was going to be my really important note about this film. <laughs> was also a great movie. Uh, he had his Aston Martin DB5 again. So we're back to the Aston Martin. Uh, this one in particular had a fax machine in the dashboard. Just like any sexy, suave spy. Right. Now, let me fax this. Um, uh, but but more more interestingly, cellular voice communication right. uh, capacity. Yeah, in 1995, this is when we're starting to see cell phones start to get adopted in large numbers. But you know, to have like a hands-free cellular voice command system inside of a car was definitely bleeding-edge tech at the time. Uh, they also had uh, it's actually one of my favorite scenes in Goldeneye. There's a ballpoint pen that Q gives to uh, to Bond. And the pen is a, an actual explosive device, a grenade that has, that you activate by clicking it three times since it's a ballpoint. So if you click it three times, it activates and has a four second long fuse and you can deactivate it by clicking it three more times. So Q says, you know, you click it three times, click, click, click. And the four second fuse starts and goes click, click, click. And then James Bond takes it and says, how long did you say that fuse was? Click, click, click. And then Q just looks at him, takes the pen back, calmly clicks it three times and says, grow up, 007. And then, of course, there's the little line about 
So uh, they always said the pen is mightier than the sword. Says, well, this time they're right because of me, says Q. So uh, there were a lot of other silly gadgets shown in the background during the Q laboratory scene, like some of the silliest ones. And uh, you had like a, a ejector seat shown off. There was the uh, there was one point where Q shows up. Actually, when Q first shows up in the scene, he's we- wheeling out in a wheelchair and he's got one leg and a big uh, plaster cast. And Bond says, oh, I'm sorry about your leg. And then Q demonstrates that it's actually a missile launcher and a missile launches from the cast leg and flies about 20 feet to the right of a dummy <laughs> that he was pointing toward. And uh, then Q just casually stands up out of the wheelchair and you see that it was a false leg the whole time. Uh, and we had a request by Ian on Facebook that said that we needed to explain that if not for the practicality, but for the sheer comedic value of that particular device. There's also one that they don't comment on. Like you were saying earlier, Lauren, you know, occasionally in these Q segments, you just see stuff going on in the background oh, that's yeah. hilarious, uh-huh. but no one says anything. Right. There's one point where you see a guy, a guy in a lab coat walk into a phone booth and then suddenly the phone booth just fills up with a big inflated balloon trapping the guy against the door. And he because the door pulls in on a phone booth, Uh he can't get out and you just see him squished up against the glass. And that is hilarious. Also doesn't play any other part in the movie whatsoever. Uh, that starts to feel like it belongs more in Get Smart than on James Bond. Yeah, so some of these, some of these around this era started to seem like parodies of, uh, I mean, even even more. At least they were being self-aware because I feel like the stuff that was going on in Roger Moore's time was straightforwardly like yeah, it was just this is great. It was just camp the way yeah. the old Batman series was right, camp. Right. So uh, we move on to Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, that was a 1997 film again with Pierce Brosnan. Yep, they had a mobile phone that could act as a fingerprint scanner, and as we've all mentioned, yeah, iPhone 5s does that now. So we actually have technology that could do this, that, you know, we could easily adapt that. In fact, I'm sure there are law enforcement agencies that have adapted that technology to work in the field. Sure. Um, It also contained a lockpick in the antenna. It was an electronic lockpick. And you could uh, put the lockpick in a lock and you press a key on the phone. It would cause it to pick a lock automatically. And it also was um, uh, a 20,000 volt stun gun. So you could zap people if they wanted to run up your minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. And it could do one other thing. Uh, it was a remote control. It was a rem- remote control for Bond's BMW. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, first of all, BMW. Yeah, Bond had a, a German BMW. car. Yeah, I I was a little bit irked by that too. Um, but uh, but the the part where it was a remote control that you know could could let the car locate bond and drive itself to him yeah. um, is technology that people are very much working on right, right. right now. Yeah, we've talked about autonomous cars in the past. This is truly an autonomous car that could, you know, it could identify the signal where bond was and then plan out a route and drive to him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, going in a straight line would not necessarily work if there were, say, you know, lakes or buildings or something in the way. So it actually has to be able to navigate. Right, right. And and as that kind of technology gets better, I, we were not quite there yet, except in extreme prototype phase. But um, yeah, but yeah, uh, Stephen on Facebook re- requested that one. Yep. So also uh, this was, you know, we weren't the only ones who got a little miffed about the Aston Martin going away and the BMW coming in. That ended up being a, a, a kind of a sticking point for a few people. BMW would stick around for a little bit, but uh don't worry, if you guys love your British cars, you'll you'll get payoff a little bit later. Uh, there was also a bad guy who had a wristband grappling hook, so it was something that you could fire from the wristband. Uh, it had a little python or piton, if you're British, 
that would fly out and embed into something, and it had a high-tension strength wire connected to it, so you could swing on it or climb. In this case, it was a character who could uh, use it to run down a vertical surface, uh, you know, because that happens in Bond movies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of those things that I, I question the legitimacy of only from the sense of we could make a, a wrist mounted device that could fire something. In fact, fire something hard enough to, to hurt or kill somebody. Certainly. But to fire something so hard that it embeds in a very tough material like stone. And, and is high tensile enough that you could furthermore climb up right. that cable. I mean, that's a lot of or down as the case may be. Exactly. Because I mean, not only does it have to be strong enough to, to penetrate, right? It has to be strong enough to carry the weight of the line. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff you got to figure out so that this thing will work the way it's supposed to. Work. It's the same problem I have with some of Batman stuff. I but think that's a different podcast. I think I think we should. That is a different podcast. Um, we'll probably I, I, will do something. Yes, I think that we should call whoever um, created that and be like, so we have the space elevator idea that we're trying to work yeah. out. So if you've got enough of that wire that apparently is incredibly strong, let's use it for something else. Let's talk about that. Uh, that moves on to the world is not enough, which, as I recall, is James Bond's family motto. Was it? Yeah. I, the world is not enough. Mm. That's that's the Bond family crest. If I if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I could be. I'm totally speaking from memory here. Uh, but it was made in 1999. It was another Pierce Brosnan film. Right. Uh, we had yet another wristwatch with a grappling hook and and high tensile, high tensile wire. wire. Yeah. They uh-huh. also had um, eyeglasses that incorporated X-ray technology, uh, so you could look at people and turn on the X-ray specs, and they were X-ray specs, where you could actually see if someone was carrying a gun. I'm sure Bond also used it for other purposes. I feel like that's likely. Um, and, of course, again, miniaturization of the technology is an issue, and also the whole cancer thing, yeah. where radiation is radiation-y. Yeah, it's, it's ionizing radiation, mm-hmm. which means that it's not good for us to be around. Non-ionizing, that's okay, for the right. most part. Sure. Ionizing, um, not okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. However, there are some infrared glasses that exist and can be used for, for similar nifty stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, just this year, a vascular imaging goggles were released that can help medical professionals like locate a vein for for blood samples or That's et cetera. pretty awesome. Um, which is pretty awesome. Um, and, and, of course, we've got uh, photon cameras that can help us see around corners. We talked about that in a forward-thinking episode, I yeah, think. Yeah, about how it measures the time it takes for light to come back around. Like, a portion of the light hits an open doorway and goes into a room, and some of that light gets reflected back, hits the doorway again, gets reflected back toward the camera. And by measuring the, the amount of time those individual photons took to go out and come back, a camera can actually reconstruct what is inside the room next door without having a clear line of sight inside it, which is crazy, but it's real. It's not x-ray glasses. It's never going to be x-ray glasses, I don't Man, think. Yeah. But I saw in the back of this comic book, this guy, he's holding up his hand, he's got this crazy look on his face, looks like Drew Carey. Uh, however, things uh-huh. that I think are definitely up and coming... Yeah. Um, Bagpipes that can hold machine guns and flamethrowers. Look, aren't bagpipes deadly enough already? Do we really need to add more killing power to bagpipes? Take it up with Q, okay? <laughs> or should I say, ugh. Yeah, that was uh, another one of those things seen in Q's lab, is yeah. this guy with a set of bagpipes that turn into a machine gun and flamethrower. Because, you know, that's, that's exactly what we need, are more Highlanders with high-caliber high weapons. Oy. All right. They also this was also one of those things that when I saw it, I was like, 
this is this is hilarious. And yet there's a real world technology that's similar to what was shown on the screen. So James Bond's wearing the ski jacket. Mm -hmm. There's this whole chase scene where he's uh, driving what's essentially a snowmobile with a parachute and and a fan on the back of it so it can fly in places. And he's being chased by bad guys who are also on these things. And then he and a lady are, uh, on this this icy area where uh, and uh, the spot above them is breaking apart. It's going to cause like a little avalanche. It's going to crush them in a second. And so quickly, James Bond grabs the lady and uh, the and hits something on his jacket, which inflates this ball around them. So they get surrounded by this big inflatable ball and uh, and sort of like a Zorb. One of those big uh-huh. inflated ones that you could run around inside. Like a hamster Similar ball. to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah big inflatable. inflated hamster ball. Yeah. And that ends up providing shelter when everything falls on top of them so that they don't get crushed by the snow and ice that falls. Um, and at first, when you look at this, you're like, oh, come on, that's just so silly. However, it's actually kind of similar. There's this um, this cool... Uh, yeah, just announced this year, I think there's this uh, inflatable helmet. Yeah, it, it looks like it's uh, this kind of bulky scarf that you would wear. Uh, it's the Hovding and it's uh, it's an airbag for cyclists. And the idea is that it has this uh, inflatable helmet that can um, uh, expand rapidly if it detects a sudden change in your acceleration and cover your head in this inflatable uh, bag. So that way, if you have a crash, your head is protected, even if you're not wearing, you know, even if you don't want to wear a standard a big, bulky, basic standard helmet. helmet. Yeah. So uh, kind of cool. I mean, in the sense that there is technology that's being developed right now that's similar to this yeah. this idea that was proposed in the movie. I would think that anything uh, potentially sharp like ice might be a bad idea for something like that. Just I also because the the material would have to be able to withstand puncture. I also but, think it would it would require a lot of pressure on the inside of that that inflatable object to withstand the huge amount of yeah. weight of mm-hmm. an avalanche like it would it would need to be mostly rigid right yeah. it wouldn't it couldn't be like the Soft. bouncy bouncy castle sort of thing yeah, it would yeah. just crush you we've got more to say about spy tech but first let's take another quick break Moving on to Die Another Day. A 2002 film, um, and that would be our last one with Pierce Brosnan. Yep. Uh, in this one, James Bond gets a ring that can emit an ultra-high frequency signal that is powerful enough to shatter bulletproof glass. Which, uh, okay, so materials have this resonant frequency, right? That if sure. you match the resonant frequency, it causes the material to start to vibrate. Mm-hmm. And Mythbusters did a whole thing on this where they showed, you know, the whole idea of being able to shatter a a wine glass with your voice if you're able to sing at the right note. And they showed that at the right level of a uh, uh, not not just the right frequency, but the right volume, the right intensity. intensity. Yeah, you could actually make this happen. You could then they shot it in slow motion where you could actually see the glass deforming as it was shaking is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, squeezing that amount of energy into a ring is going to be difficult. Yeah. Being able to project that much uh, volume so that you are able to shatter something like a pane of glass because, uh, I mean, if you ever watch these videos, glass can deform a, a surprising amount before yeah, it breaks. Yeah, a really weird, scary amount. Yeah, when slow motion, you look at it and you're like, that doesn't even look real. So it would, I certainly don't think you could pack that kind of wallop in a ring. Now, I mean, you could punch the glass. Of course, if it's bulletproof, you're probably just going to break your hand. Probably. But um, anyway, the, the basic concept 
is sound. The execution is questionable. Not so much. Yeah. Uh, the Aston Martin in this one oh. was, um, I, okay. Uh, so, so we had, basically we had an invisible car. Yeah. The Aston Martin Vanquish, also sometimes called the Aston Martin Vanish, was a car that, according to the film, the idea was that it had lots of these little tiny cameras all around the car. And what would happen is that it would project, it, w- it would capture whatever's coming on, mm-hmm. like oncoming. And project it onto the surface of the car itself, right. therefore doing kind of an, an invisibility cloak sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, the idea being that if, if you're looking at the car, you're actually seeing what's on the other side of the right. car as opposed to the car itself. This worked for everything, not just the not just the car's body, but the wheels, the the glass, the windows, the windshield. Everything was was completely cloaked. And when it moved, it moved like, you know, like the Klingon starship in Star Trek. Right, right. Um, And uh, okay, so, I mean, researchers and artists have, in fact, come up with uh, invisibility cloaks that work on similar principles, but not at Aston Martin road speeds. Really. And, And to be fair to James Bond, at first, when you see this. The car's not moving. It's still, but then it does start to move and it's moving perfectly fine. Like you see the shimmer as it moves, but it's not like, you know, it's not like, not like it's not like the stuff on the car is lagging behind three seconds from what is actually around it. Right, right. Um, right now the best technology for this kind of thing is on the micrometer scale. Yeah. Uh, you know, carbon nanotubes, stuff like that. And, And also a lot of the stuff we think of as invisibility cloaks right now are, is really for, uh, bands of light that we personally cannot see. It's just that, uh, from a laboratory standpoint, certain sure. types of light will pass through as opposed to reflecting off. It's just not in the visible spectrum. Yeah. So wha- uh, whoop-de-doo. Yeah, uh, and and that was a request from a couple people on Facebook, both yep. Richard, R- Richard and, and Monty. Mm-hmm. Now, it also, of course, had your standard James Bond equipment, ejector seat, which uh, in this film, James Bond uses to flip the car from being upside down on its hood back to being right side up. The ejector seat provides the... Flippy flip. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mythbusters uh, tested part of that as part of that that episode that they did about did the ejector seats. I, yeah. I missed that part. Mm-hmm. I I totally forgot that part of the movie. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen Die Another Day. I've seen the clips, right? I've seen the clips of this particular scene <laughs> um, because, and I just remember yelling, "Oh come on!" Huh. like forty times. Yeah, and then it had the standard, you know, machine gun torpedoes. Uh... Right, right. Yeah, all that stuff that you know. James Bond has he can't leave home without. Right. So moving on, we've got uh well, we got the the boring Bond, right? Casino Royale with this Daniel Craig person. Uh this the, this was a 2006 film. He's dreamy. I I can't lie. <laughs> so yeah, there's a a new Aston Martin in this one, the DBS V12, which also had a whole bunch of high-tech uh first aid gear that was all stored in the glove compartment. So nothing like super crazy in this one. And a lot of this was the idea of going back to James Bond and kind of grounding the character a little bit more, making uh, yeah. it a little more gritty. Yeah, I, I, I liked this entire recent reboot with, with yeah. Daniel Craig. I, I thought it was a little bit, it, it's a little bit overwrought at times, yeah. but, but that's okay. But And um, they still have cutting edge technology and in some cases cutting edge technology that outstrips what we can currently do. But that's not, it's not so much a... It's not as goofy. Yeah, and it's not as over usually. the top. Right, right. Um, right. Uh, one of the other bits of tech from this movie was a, uh, an implanted microchip that could act as both a homing device and a, like a, like a biometric monitor of right, some sort. Sure. Um, which also could send that info back out to MI6. Yeah, which again is a little, a little tricky. Like, how do you create a transmitter with the a size sm- of a pencil eraser that yeah. can also, right, transmit this stuff? Not that there aren't 
you know, implantable technologies that that are totally dissimilar to this. We do have things that are similar, but they work on very, very short range. Absolutely. The idea is that it's when you can actually monitor the patient in person as opposed yes, to when, when you can kind of poke a, a instrument yeah, directly at their arm. Right. Right. Rather than rather, rather than, you know, 500 miles away. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was also a touchscreen table in MI6, which, uh, you know, Microsoft had something like as of 2008. Yeah, the the Surface table. The mm-hmm. you know before there was the Surface tablet, dear friends, there was the Microsoft Surface table, which is when when they called the tablet Microsoft Surface <laughs> again. That was also when I threw my hands up in the air and said, "Oh come on." Yeah. I don't do it just to James Bond. I also do it to Microsoft. When I said, you already have a product called the Surface and don't it's a do table. This. It's confusing. It's um, hard for me to write about this. You're making my articles not be relevant anymore. You got to, you got to play with one of those at one of the CES. CES yeah. Didn't you? Yeah. They had a uh, one where they was on, it was on display that back then Microsoft had a presence at CES. They used to have a giant right. booth mm-hmm. and they had the Microsoft Surface there and you could play with it. In fact, there were a couple of different booths that had a Microsoft Surface. I think, um, Oh, it it was like Intel or something else also had one. So uh, the neat thing about the Surface was it had the multi-touch capability, and this was before you saw that in everything, right? So it was one of those um, implementations that was really cool. So this this was kind of predicting that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moving on to Quantum of Solace. Uh, Craig's second film that came out in 2008. Uh, so, and, and again, we have another magical telephone in a way. So this one could create a composite photo of a subject, even if Bond only got like a profile shot. So if you got a shot from the side of someone, this phone could reconstruct that person's entire face, including the side that was not facing the camera. And this, this is one of my personal pet peeves. And, and, uh, it's that whole zoom and enhance concept yeah. where I'm like, no, if the camera hasn't recorded that information, it cannot give you. The best it can do is assume that you have an incredibly symmetrical face and therefore mirror it. So if like James Bond encounters, you know, mostly supermodels, then in that universe, it's actually very effective. Uh, To be fair, Lauren, James Bond does encounter mostly supermodels. This this is what I'm saying. You know, that's that's okay. So never never mind. Uh, If James Bond took a picture of me in profile, however, it would you'd be like, wow, who's that devastatingly handsome gentleman? And then you see me and you're like, that cannot be the guy that's in this picture (laughs) because that guy's nose is all crooked and stuff. I had a tough childhood. Um, yeah, anyway, it was, uh, it's not that this technology is co- totally beyond us, but it is one of those things where I don't, I, I would highly suspect the reliability of any picture that is completely, uh, created from just a, a portion of someone's face. Um, now we have seen interesting scanning technology with people using something like the Kinect, where mm-hmm. they do a very slow turn and it gives a full 3D scan of a person's head. But in that case, you're talking about a device that's actually getting data from all points, right? It's not just one side. Right. All right. Then when it comes up to Skyfall, the as of right now, most recent film in the James Bond franchise that came out in 2012 and also starred Mr. Craig. Uh, right. Mr. Dreamy Craig. And, um, and, and this, this film was very much stressing that kind of stripped down aesthetic, uh, versus especially some of the earlier goofier 1980s films. Um, uh, and, and so they, they kind of make a bit out of it when, when Bond and the new Q meet up for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Q gives him this little box and all it contains is a, uh, Walter PPK mm-hmm. and and a and a little radio transmitter and and Bond's like that's it like <laughs> like not exactly Christmas is it? <laughs> um, now, uh, however, his his gun does have a uh, 
uh, a, a a scanner on the the handle so it only bond can fire it. Oh right, right. It's a little palm print reader thing. Yeah, which which, uh, which, which is technically possible, although it would be harder um, on a on a mechanical device than it would have been on on a digital. Yeah. Thing so if to, you have some sort of digital if you can safety, digitize the safety or something. Yeah. If you sure. if you if you make the safety completely separate from a mechanical approach and you make it a, an electronic approach, uh, I could see that like if it's it's engaged unless the "Quote unquote," right person is holding the gun. Um, that would—that's the only way I could uh, imagine that making sense. I'll give that one to Q. Um, and it also—we also see a return of the Aston Martin DB5. Yep. Um, like the like the super classic one with all of the super classic stuff. Pretty much from Goldfinger. Yeah. Which you know, to be fair, Skyfall had a lot of little nods to yeah. some of the earlier Bond films. Like you, you would actually. You know, see examples of some of the stuff that appeared in earlier Bond films, just kind of uh, surreptitiously hidden in the in the scene, not something that was you know paraded out in front of you. But that that's one of those cool things is seeing them pay homage to this rich past that mm-hmm. James Bond has accumulated, even as they go forward and potentially go back and and recreate some of these older stories. Yeah. So it's possible that we'll see some of these older stories reimagined in new form. Um, some of them may just be completely written, you know, from scratch. Some of the James Bond films are not based off of any Fleming novel. Sure. But maybe some of the future ones will be just reimagined versions of that. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see how I mean, as we keep saying, as we have been saying throughout these two episodes, um, you know, a lot of this stuff that was crazy revolutionary sci-fi tech in the 1960s is stuff that's on our smartphones today. Yeah. That wraps up this classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have suggestions for future topics of Tech Stuff, whether they are classic or otherwise, let me know. Send me a message on Twitter. It's the best way to get in touch with me. And the handle you should use is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.